now indeed. Thank you very much, Martin Ruffman, for joining us today to share some experiences and insights into the, the world of healing. Happy to do it. Wonderful. Um, perhaps you can begin with sharing a little about uh, who Martin Brofman is, what experiences you've had, and what led you to healing, and uh, share that with the audience. Okay. Uh, I was working on Wall Street, and things started going wrong in my body, and uh, eventually I was told I had a spinal cord tumor. And uh, at the time, I was uh, partially paralyzed. My right arm wasn't working. My legs were spastic. And uh, they explained that I needed to have an operation immediately. And if I lived through the operation, I might come out quadriplegic. When I asked if I had um, time for another opinion, they said if I coughed or sneezed at that time, I might die. So uh, I was scheduled to have the operation in a few hours, and during that time, uh, I went through the stages that people generally go through when they're told that they're about to die, and eventually got to the point of acceptance. Was I, there a, a process to get there? You indicate that was the denial to begin with, was it? Yeah, uh, it's usually they're talking about anger first. I wasn't angry, but there was denial. This isn't real. This isn't happening to me. This is a movie set. These are actors. And uh, then negotiation. Wait a minute. Let's make a deal. We can talk this over. And uh, eventually, uh, considering the possibility that it was real, it was happening to me, what they were saying might be true. And, and opening up to that. and uh, what, what came with that acceptance? It was a very strong moment. It was like a wave of energy moving through me. My body shook for uh, quite a while. And when it was finished, it was very quiet in my mind, and all my senses were more alive. It was uh, colors were brighter, my sensations were stronger, and I, I had recognized that uh, there must have been some filter between me and the experience of life, and ironically it had been the fear of death. And when I wasn't afraid of death anymore, I could feel more alive. I went in for the operation, and uh, during the operation I had an experience of going through the tunnel that people talk about. And And a near-death experience, is it sometimes referred to? Yes, exactly. And... uh, having an exit interview on the other side and, you know, okay, your trip is over, wrap it up. And uh, and uh, at that point, when I was ready to move on, it was like I paused for a moment and this other being asked, what was that thought that came into your consciousness? And uh, I had grown up in my life without my father in it for much of it. And... While I had gotten okay with that, I didn't really feel like it enhanced my experience. And I thought it would have been nice for my children to have grown up with their father in their life. And the being said, because your reason for wanting to go back is somebody outside yourself will allow you to return. And before I could say I wasn't interested, you know, I was in this body and there was a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, and afterwards, uh, I felt like just arrived here and somebody else was in here before now, before me and... uh, A rebirth of sorts. It was more than a rebirth, it was, um, well, 
yeah, it was a kind of rebirth, but with a very strong transformation. And uh, after the operation, um, they told me they couldn't get to the tumor because it was buried inside the spinal cord. And so they told me I had a month or two to live unless I call for a sneeze. And so um, I decided if I have a short time left, I might as well spend it feeling good, you know, find something to feel good about. And a couple of months went by and uh, had my talk with death and uh, you're coming today and this voice in my head said, when the time comes, you'll know, so what do you want to do now? So I went out to enjoy another day or hour or whatever there was. Can I ask just, how is your life different now? I mean, a near-death experience is not something that I would imagine a a Wall Street computer expert has within their experience prior or, or within their understanding of reality? Or was that distracted with the reality? I was, uh, before that, having uh, no sense of uh, spiritual realms. I was agnostic, didn't believe in anything, didn't know anything, and identified very much with my physical body. And after that, uh, more in touch with the spiritual nature of, of who we are and occupying the body but not being the body and knowing that whatever happens with the body uh, or doesn't, when we leave it, we continue to experience something. So I would say who we are is immortal. The body is mortal, but who we are is not the body. So in any event, I was uh, terminally ill for a while and just focused on being me and uh, spending as much time as I could feeling good, feeling happy. And I decided uh, if I lived until New Year's that year that uh, I would celebrate still being alive in Club Med in Martinique. And when I was there, I had a conversation with a man teaching Zen meditation. And he said, cancer begins in your mind, and that's where you can go to get rid of it. And that, that statement had a lot of impact for me. Uh, a few weeks after that, I went to an introductory talk for something called the Silva Method. And um, what the instructor was saying was uh, resonating with me very much and um, saying that we create our reality and that um, there was a doctor in Texas who was working with terminally ill cancer patients and if they would accept that they had created um, the illness that then he could tell them what to do to get rid of it. And I thought if he could do it, I could do it. And so I decided to work on myself. That must have been an important moment, I would guess, when you sensed possibility, when you knew that others had or were able to cure themselves that, uh, or, or bring about a curing, a healing, as we might call it. Was that significant for yourself to see that it was possible? Yes, but that moment came when I had to talk with this Zen teacher and okay. got met, you know. He said, uh, cancer begins in the mind, that's where you can go to get rid of it. That's when I had the realization that I could do it. The next question was how to do it. Sure. So with this uh, silver method, uh, it was, okay, I can use their techniques because that's the techniques that this doctor was using. Sure. So uh, I decided to work with those um, ideas, relaxation, going to alpha, working with affirmations, visualization, positive thinking, 
and um, imagining the scene in the future where the doctors would be examining me and scratching their head and saying, maybe we made a mistake. And the idea was that the pictures we put in our consciousness, we prove the probability of happening. So the more I would remember the scene in the future, the more it would have a tendency to manifest. And at the same time, every day, Going into my relaxation periods, I would imagine the tumor getting a little smaller, a little smaller, and holding the perception every day and every way I'm getting better and better. And at the end of two months, I had to go back to the doctors for another examination, and they scratched their heads and and decided they must have made a mistake. And uh, I knew I had created the same Now, at the same time that I was working with the alpha techniques, I was also exploring uh, every other system I could find, uh, every esoteric philosophy, every system uh, involving the body-mind relationship. One's mind becomes quite open when there's uh, life on the line, huh? Yes, and it was all new to me. Um, So it was like... um, it was fascinating. Uh, when I was uh, a child, I had been fascinated with science fiction. And so before I got out of the sixth grade, I had gone through the science fiction section in my library, A to Z. So what had before been uh, um, you know, possibilities presented in the science fiction uh, context suddenly were real and achievable and uh, attainable. And so uh, I, I was feeling uh, a great thirst, you know, where can I get some information, where can I get some knowledge? But interestingly, that thirst continued even after the healing was acknowledged. I was still hungry, thirsty, looking for something without even knowing what it was that uh, I was searching for. So it began as a search to achieve an outcome. The outcome was achieved to... I mean, just to step back there, presumably it was a, you, you had a scan, or how, how did the doctors determine they had made a mistake? What was the, the, the data that came back? Um, I'm not sure if I... What, what had happened was uh, when I had gone in for the operation, I had uh, paralysis. Sure. And when, and my, as I said, my legs weren't working, my arm was uh, paralyzed, my head was bent forward. And so symptomatically, they could see there was something wrong. When I went back, there were no more of the symptoms. Sure. So uh, they had uh, examined my spinal fluid. They didn't take another spinal tap. They, they just measured uh, the um, strength of uh, impulses in the nerves, you know, the electrical conductivity or something. Sure. And uh, anyway, they said that there were no longer uh, any signs of uh, a tumor there. Sure. Nor any symptoms. Sure. So they decided they must have made a mistake. So anyway, uh, I learned a lot about the body-mind relationship. And it was a lot more interesting to me than designing computer systems on Wall Street. So when I had been exploring all these different ologies and isms, uh, 
had to build a model in my consciousness of uh, into which I could fit all these different ideas because sometimes what one was saying was in contradiction to what another was saying. So with this model that I built, I was able to make some coherent sense of uh, everything, um, even the apparently contradictory uh, statements. So, for example, uh, if we talk about uh, the Bible, you know, at one point uh, Jesus is saying, it ain't me who's doing this, it's, it's Dad, you know, it's my father. But then in another place, he says, my father and I are one, you know, and they, they seem to be contradictory statements, and you sure. don't know how can you put them together, you know. Sure. And uh, when I put my model together, it was with... Uh, the chakras, working with the chakras, these energy centers in the, in the Hindu tradition, and each chakra represents a different uh, point of view, a different state of consciousness. So from the point of view of, let's say, the throat chakra, one has a sense of interacting with another level of intelligence and seeing an, an evidence of another intelligence at work, sure. Okay, even though it was not, uh, let's say, conscious uh, motivation, but something happening. And from another chakra, from the brow chakra, there's a sense of identifying with that consciousness and recognizing it as who you are in the deepest part of your being. So then we see that both the statements make sense when we understand the space from which those statements have been made. So the, the, the paradox is resolved, as it were, we yeah, can exactly. take those different perspectives. That's right. And th this process of d creating this model, this was post your... Uh, good news from the doctors? It was uh, from the time that I began to explore all these different uh, systems and uh, philosophies. Uh, from the beginning, there was, uh, you know, conflict. They were saying things different from each other. Sure. So from the beginning, in order to understand them, in order to make some sense of them, some coherent sense, uh, that's when I had to put it together. And then I continued that process afterwards. Was there the intention at the continuation of that process, that this was going to be a system that could be shared, that could be used. For I had no intention, just a sense of a thirst. Sure. And uh, that continued until one day it stopped. Uh, I had been exploring my consciousness in different ways and exploring different states of consciousness and, and uh, you know, reading books by the masters where they're talking about this and that. And... At one point, I was recognizing that what they were talking about was what I had been experiencing, even though I may have used uh, different words to describe the experience. And so uh, if uh, a master is uh, writing a book, I'm looking into that person's consciousness, and um, they're telling me what I already know, not with my mind, but what I have already experienced. Sure. So at some point... I had to own my enlightenment, we can sure. say, okay? And stop reading the books, it becomes uh, unnecessary. Well, well, that, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and uh, more than that, in the um, world of the seeker, the one who's searching, you know, sure. you're part of a community of seekers, and um, of course, the ideal is to be a finder sure, and not to remain a seeker. Sure. 
And what I discovered was when I found none of my friends were happy about that. Sure. You know, it was like telling them, uh, (laughs) hey, I got it, you know, I don't need to. Hey, let's go see this guru of it, but I don't need to anymore. Wow, what an ego you must have to think that you don't, you know, so I had to uh, deal with um, the social pressures and and just leave the community of seekers. It's like uh, with the story of uh, Siddhartha, you know. Um, and Govinda, his friend Govinda, you know, and and uh, I was on a Siddhartha trip, not a Govinda trip. And sure. Govinda was into being a follower. He was into being a seeker. When I was into being a finder and, and owning my enlightenment and knowing I didn't have to search anymore. So... This, if I can just interrupt for a moment, Martin, this points to something which I think is quite central in the... Uh, the system that you share, the body mirror system, and, and some of the, the basic fundamental principles of it, which is uh, we, we are that which we define ourselves to be. If we define ourselves as being a seeker who has had some experiences and so on, um, that is exactly what we will be. If those experiences reach a point of insight such that we are beyond that, we have a choice to actually define ourselves as, as that or remain a seeker who's had some experiences. Yeah. Well, some people are into being seekers. That's, sure. that's what they want to do. It's uh, in some of the traditions, they are a devotional paths, and the the success in that path is measured by the degree of devotion you can feel. But then the devotion must have an object of devotion. So duality is instantly created. There is that, and I am here. Yes, and uh, that wasn't my path. Uh, there was uh, a book at the time called The Master Game by Robert DeRope. And he says, you're, you're here essentially playing a game, and the idea is to see what game you're playing and then play it by the rules, you know. So you have uh, the hog in the trough game, which is played for accumulation, you know. There's the... Uh, art game played for beauty, the science game played for knowledge, the no-game game, the the family game, there's the religion game played for salvation, and then what he calls the master game, which is played for awakening. And so uh, my objective was awakening and uh, not looking up to a master, but to being my own master, you know, and achieving the the state of consciousness of of, uh, an awakened being. Prior to the the, the, the the arising of the tumor and the paralysis and so on, would you have considered yourself looking back now as playing the hog and trough game? Um, I wasn't into accumulating, no. Um, I would say I was doing my best to play the family game, but uh, not really happy in it. Sure. Okay, it was... Um, I was chasing the American dream. The house in the suburbs, wife, two kids, two cars in a garage, and a big dog. Sure. And uh, commuting an hour and a half to Wall Street. <laughs> and uh, at the time, uh, Simon and Carfunkel were singing uh, Nothing But the Dead and Dying in My Little Town. And at some point, they talked to me. <laughs> and, and then something woke up in me and said, what am I doing here, you know? Uh, so. And so the illness, no doubt, was a, a, a marker point in, in your life. There was, there was life pre-illness and post-illness. That's right. That's right. It was and, a wake-up call. 
And uh, to, to what extent, I wonder, at the time and since, have you viewed that illness as, as, a, as, as a gift or an opportunity, or was it really only afterwards, looking back, that that perspective well, was? Yeah, and sometimes people ask me if it was a gift, and I tell them, well, if it was a gift, it's not one I would recommend to my friends. You know, it, I experienced it more as a, a wake-up call because I was walking in my sleep, and what thoughts came through my mind uh, at the time that I was sick and during the period uh, of my healing was that I hadn't been paying attention. And what I had not been paying attention to was the importance of being happy. And when I would talk to people about how important it is to be happy, they were telling me that sounds very uh, irresponsible. Selfish, perhaps. Selfish. How can you want to just be happy? But, uh, <laughs> I mean, for me, that's, that's it. If you're, if you're not a healthy person, you're an unhappy person. Show me someone who's got a symptom. I'll show you someone who's unhappy about something. And uh, so I set about to be happy uh, more and more of my day, you know. And uh, during the period of my, my healing and, and afterwards, uh, talking to other people about it. And one time I was uh, giving a talk, and there were maybe 60 people in the room, and uh, I was talking about the possibility of being happy all the time. And... They were saying things like, well, you can't be happy all the time because uh, you've got to be unhappy sometimes. So you know what being happy is. What? And I decided to ask, you know, how many of you were happy, let's say, 10% of the last day, you know, doing what you want, where you want, with whom you want? And they were looking at each other like, Ten, that's like two and a half hours. Uh. And nobody said anything. <laughs> And I asked, well, what about one hour? How many of you spent one hour of the last day doing what you want, where you want, with whom you want? And after some pause, one woman raised her hand and said, well, maybe one hour. And I thought that was crazy because for me, 50% was not one of my better days. Sure. You know, uh, I, w I would look at the, let's call it the economics of hedonism, you know, of uh, your investment in time where you're investing your time in a particular project, let's say reading a newspaper, you're spending an hour reading a newspaper. So how do you feel after reading the newspaper compared to how you felt before reading the newspaper? <laughs> and do you feel the same or better or worse, you know? And was it an enjoyable hour in itself? And was it an enjoyable hour in itself? <laughs> and if you felt worse after than you did before, that's an investment in time that's not giving you good rewards. Sure. So I would eliminate the activities that were a poor investment, you know, sure. and put my attention on this, this, <laughs> the thing. This speaks to me because both in the, in the broader sense, the gift that uh, I certainly see it as a gift, or not the illness itself, but one of the gifts that has come with it has been to value my time and actually give greater attention to what's yeah, happening and make being happy and experiencing joy yes. a priority. Yes. And simply by making it a priority, I experience a great deal more joy and happiness. Absolutely. It really is that simple. Yes. Um, and and if you have a mission in life, whatever it is, it's got to be something that makes you feel good. Otherwise, you never get to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> follow, follow your bliss was Joseph Campbell's That's phrase, it. and you, you speak exactly. as much yourself. And I, I recommend stopping reading newspapers myself as well. I um, wanted just to um, sort of steer us towards some of the work that you've done creating that uh, the, the body mirror system, okay. because this seems to me to be really something that anyone listening to this will uh, likely gain a lot of value from, from, from hearing about. You 
heal yourself effectively. And as a, a precursor to going into this, uh, like looking at the system you have, how would you define healing? You, you, you are a healer. What is healing and what is a healer to you? Uh, for me, uh, healing is about returning to the experience of wholeness. So I'm working with the idea that for every symptom there's a certain way of being. You know, there's a cancer personality, there's a arthritis personality, nearsighted personality, there's a way of being. And, and just, just to interrupt for a moment, this is, this is supported by a lot of data, this, especially with can cancer. There's been a huge amount of study and that really shows that there is a, a certain type of personality, exactly. which is the cancer personality, yeah. with heart disease as well. So yeah, people talk about type A behavior, for example, sure. uh, related to heart disease. And um, so if there's a certain way of being associated with every symptom, there's a certain way of being associated with having no symptoms. So that's a state of consciousness that's inside, achievable. And so we can say when one is in that state of consciousness, one is experiencing their wholeness. Sure. So we can say when someone is uh, not healed, they're not experiencing their wholeness. Healing then must be about returning to the experience of wholeness. Sure. And uh, if we're asking what is a healer, a healer is someone who can work with someone to help them return to the experience of wholeness. Whether the healer is an active participant in the process or whether they're just opening up as a channel for something to move through them, they are still a facilitator. Uh, in some way, they're doing something even if it's just getting out of the way, they're doing something to help this other person uh, return to the experience of wholeness. And this is clearly your your bliss, your your purpose in being. You've, you've spoken yes. of this. Yes, that's that's it. that's what I'm into. That's the, sure. what. Uh, well, you get a kick out of it. I get a kick out of it. Yeah, exactly. What are some of the more wonderful or joyous experiences? Not necessarily specific, or, or perhaps. Uh, particular examples or in a general sense that you that you gain from healing? What, what, what do you like about it? Well, I mean, look, when someone is releasing a, a symptom, uh, they get very happy. <laughs> it's nice to be around people when they're suddenly experiencing a lot of joy, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of happiness, and uh, to feel, uh, you know, being part of it and uh, part of the mechanism for that is a, it's a nice feeling. It's very rewarding. Uh, I, I wouldn't say my motivation is to get that feeling. It's more like discovering that I get that feeling when I do that thing. Sure. Okay? It's like um, do what feels good, and people say, I don't know what feels good. Well, then do something and see if it feels good or not. If it feels good, do more of it. And, uh, Keep going until you find that thing. Exactly, and this is the thing that... that uh, when I do that, I get this super feeling, so I'm happy with that. It uh, reminds me of Steve Jobs' uh, speech he gave to, to, to Stanford graduates, which has been doing the rounds since he passed, and he, he speaks of uh, finding what you love and, and not stopping until you do. So really having that commitment, not such that it's a sort of a nice ideal, a nice idea that one day I might have actually just really been committed to finding what Absolutely. you love. And uh, it's wonderful to, to, yes. to meet someone who's done that. Um, to what extent... You've created this system. What sort of successes have you had with it? What sort of um, healings, what sort of outcomes have you witnessed and, and uh, have doctors verified and so on following 
healings with you and following working with you, following that inner journey that people are taking? Well, uh, I mean, uh, working with people, for example, who've had cancer, tumors, and then afterwards uh, getting a clean bill of health from the doctors, people getting up out of wheelchairs, people uh, um, releasing symptoms, uh, different kinds, aches and pains disappearing, people's eyesight clearing, um, well, some pretty remarkable uh, things happening too. Uh, somebody's leg uh, who was three inches shorter suddenly, you know, restoring its its uh, normal length. Um, that, uh, just the full spectrum of, of healing stories. People on crutches uh, suddenly not needing them anymore, but in a really short time, I mean a matter of minutes. Sure. The, the quickest I have seen a tumor disappear was about 20 minutes in a class in New Zealand. Um, but sometimes it's taken a few days, sometimes a couple of months, you know, just depending upon the individual's uh, sensitivities. And sure. So what, what I sense from what we've uh, I've been enjoying your, your class over the last few days and uh, what I want to sort of you know, dis distill as much as we can in a short interview for people listening in on the site is um, getting a sense of uh, what perspectives and attitudes are uh, aligned with healing and you know, what, what you see in people that heal and, and what you see in people that don't. What sort of perspectives and attitudes can we hold to support our own healing? Uh, well, part of the system that I use is about communicating the inner cause to the symptom. What is the condition in the consciousness that uh, is associated with and therefore responsible for the particular symptom? And so I'm working with the idea that uh, we can say you're inside there, things happen around you, you're deciding how to respond, what to think, what to feel. And uh, your decisions can either leave you centered and balanced, or they can leave you with stress, tension. If they leave you with tension, if the tension goes to an extreme of intensity, then you create a symptom. So for the healing, it's about releasing the tensions from the consciousness, effectively uh, having the willingness to change your mind about something, recognizing on the practical level, no matter how much justification you've given yourself to think the way you thought, that if it's resulting in a symptom, it doesn't work for you. And so you need to change your mind about something. Sure. And uh, recognize the importance of being happy and doing what makes you happy and stop doing what makes you unhappy. So I would say the openness of the person to release the attitudes that are not working for them and to accept... Um, comfortably the state of consciousness in which they are symptom-free, you know, that that is uh, one big part of the healing. I worked on myself. I had to heal myself, so I wasn't working with a healer. And in working in that way, I had to be absolutely non-attached to anything in my life. If I wasn't certain what it was that the symptom was about, I had to have the willingness to let go of everything and then after all is said and done, see what remains with me. With the idea being that if it stays with you, it's yours, and if it doesn't stay with you, it was never yours in the first place. Sure. 
and uh, so there has to be uh, very much um, objectivity and non-attached way of seeing yourself and everything in your life. When one is working with a healer, it has a lot to do with the interaction between the healer and the healee. Uh, for each of us, our perceptions create our reality. So this is true for the healer, it's true for the healee. And then it's a question of uh, aligning the intentions of both in the same direction and optimizing that interaction between them uh, in a way that most encourages this return to the experience of wholeness. For the person receiving the healing, yes, uh, as I say, the willingness to release the attitudes, the tensions that uh, have not been serving them. So it seems one thing that would be very clear compared to going to a doctor and being given some drugs or having a, having surgery and then, and then leaving saying, thank you very much, job done. Uh, the big distinction here is there's a complete personal responsibility is taken for, for one's health and not just for one's health but for one's entire life with the health itself being, I feel like, a symptom of that whole life. Absolutely, absolutely. It's totally taking responsibility for yourself and uh, when you do that, there are a couple of side effects. One is that you don't consider anybody else responsible for your state, because it's not about them, it's about how you chose to respond to them. Sure. And it means also that you're not responsible for other people. Sure. You know, uh, you're free to think and feel whatever you want to feel and think, and so are other people. So that gives you a certain freedom to be yourself, and others can think about it whatever they want, feel whatever they want, and that's not your problem. Sure. And uh, I mentioned in the class that there's never been anybody on the planet who everybody loved. And, you know, and, and so yeah, the number of people who strive towards that goal. Exactly. <laughs> Look, to not offend anyone, to be liked, to be loved by everyone. Maybe they'll make it, but no one has until now, you know. <laughs> if they want to, yeah, go for it. But for me, I take a very practical point of view. Uh, it doesn't matter what my way of being is. Uh, someone's going to criticize it, someone else is going to applaud it, and I get a choice who I want to be around. Sure. And I can be around the people who are criticizing me and feeling like a weed in a garden, or being around the other people and just recognizing that I've been a flower in the wrong garden. Sure. Okay, and being around others who are more like me, and without any change in my way of being, being appreciated. It's not just okay to be my way, it's what they appreciate about me. Sure. So... So it's a, it's a call to authenticity as well, not just taking responsibility, but actually to show up in life exactly as you are, and uh, that's that, it. without compromise, dilution, that's right. uh, and, and, that's right. and so on. Um, that's a, a wonderful notion, a, a rather heroic one, I feel, as well. Um, there's a, a parallel, it seems, in my own experience and uh, from what you share, uh, between... A, a, even closer than a parallel, perhaps, between the process of healing, moving from a, having a symptom to not having a symptom, and of course the underlying shift that occurs uh, within that individual, and, and spiritual awakening, and actually opening up into a deeper understanding and uh, an embodiment of, of, of what or who we are. Um, 
Can you speak to that, the, 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 the correlation or, or the, the link between the two, healing and awakening? Well, for me, it's... Uh, for you and I, we are recognizing uh, the importance of the state of consciousness uh, to the state of the physical body. And in that way, it is indeed a, a spiritual awakening. And for people going through the process, they recognize it. It's not just some... Uh, apparent truth that some guru has told them. It's not just uh, an idea. There is a validity through, to it through one's personal experience. And um, I think it's unfortunate that in the spiritual community, just too often, one's evolution is measured by how well one can repeat somebody else's ideas sure. without really understanding them. Sure. But when someone is going through a healing process and recognizing the the relationship between the body and the consciousness within, that's uh, certainly uh, a spiritual awakening. And not it doesn't have to be associated with any religion. It can be a philosophical spiritual awakening. Sure. And uh, that's what it's been for me. I uh, had a, an amusing realization not so long ago when I... Uh, Prior to, uh, to to diagnosis, I certainly had great intellectual understanding of many uh, philosophies, and I like to think so, at least in spiritual traditions and so on. And I thought I understood well also the shift from uh, an intellectual understanding to an experiential understanding. But I realized that, in fact, my understanding of this shift from an intellectual to an experiential understanding was an intellectual understanding. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to have the experiential realization of what that was. And yes. it, was a, it was a an amusing moment, too to say the least. And this is, um, again, central to, to, to this healing process, is uh, making these truths your, your own. So one doesn't come to uh, a Martin Brofman seminar or, or, or work with this, uh, this, this information and, and, and walk away with, with, with notes and with ideas in one's head and, and achieve anything, uh, any, any change or any, any significant shift in outcomes. It's very much a case of making it one's own, becoming one's own master, internalizing it. And... Um, this perhaps answers a, a question I was going to ask you along the lines of why aren't more people healing their own illnesses? I have had to really study hard to find individuals such as yourself, uh, Ian Gawler in Australia, Jill Edwards in England and so on, who uh, have taken that journey and healed themselves and have shared much of how they have achieved this. Um, and we live in a world with a health crisis, with more and more people becoming ill. And a question I had was why, why is it still... Why aren't we seeing this on the news? Why is it not a more common phenomenon? Why is it still on, on, on the margins? For some people, the process of taking responsibility is one that they associate with guilt. You know, uh, telling someone that they're responsible for having created the cancer they're, they're getting into, but then I feel guilty about that. And But if they're into feeling guilty about that, they're still doing nothing to change it. Sure. And so, uh, in our society in general, nobody can blame you for being sick. Sure. Okay, it's not your fault. Sure. And uh, that, that victim consciousness is, is spoken to and enhanced and encouraged. There's a, there's a process of disempowerment which yes. occurs in much communication. Yes, and in the 70s, uh, of course, people started uh, working on themselves and... Uh, Self-development classes became uh, more um, 
the social norm, I would say. So people, to some degree, were um, taking responsibility for themselves, but it still hadn't really reached mainstream. Uh, there are, in fact, a lot of stories of uh, people who have healed themselves. But you have to be willing to look for them. Sure. And um, in the medical community, if you start off at some point having cancer, and at another point you don't have it, the only two possible answers of the medical community are, A, uh, we must have made a mistake, or B, spontaneous remission. Spontaneous remission is just a fancy way of saying it went away and we don't know how. Sure. But they don't really acknowledge the, um, let's say, the healing power of consciousness. Uh, sure. They can fit it into a category and like, oh, it must be something like the placebo effect. Sure. And uh, well, when they call it the placebo effect, I mean, still, the consciousness getting rid of a symptom. Absolutely. And, and similarly, the, the placebo effect, like spontaneous remission, are, the, are these two uh, incredibly interesting concepts which uh, mainstream science until recently hasn't really explored. You know, why are people suddenly finding themselves without illness? Why is it that 35% you know, of instances a, a, a sugar pill will create the exact same outcome as a medicine? And it's not... Um, really scientific to deny that it happens. Indeed. You know, but uh, much of the scientific community, if they can't explain it, they decide it never happened. Indeed. And uh, it, it seems to me to be more scientific to acknowledge what has happened. An event in the world is a truth. And then the next step would be to see how did it happen? And, of course, uh, scientifically, people like to quantify things, and, uh, and what is quantifiable from our point of view are, are attitudes, but that's difficult for them to measure. Sure. So to say that uh, it's the product of somebody's consciousness and that's uh, not so easy to measure, then they decide that's not scientific sure. and they can't prove it. Uh, because it's not something something that one can replicate. Sure. And this is one of the great uh, shadows, if you like, of modern science. It, it, it denies the subjective, in spite of the fact that it is the subjective within which that opinion was formed, in spite of the fact that, that is with, it's from within the subjective that all interesting intuitions in science so, so much arises from. But I guess that's what we're, we're working with. What I think is important for anyone listening to, to get a sense of is the... Um, the literature is out there, the information is out there, the outcomes are out there. And the um, fact is that people are being healed. Indeed. And people are, are at one point uh, being diagnosed with some catastrophic uh, symptom, and at another point they don't have it. And so it's a fact, it's an event. And the next interesting question is, how did it happen, sure. and what can we do to achieve the same thing? Sure. So when we're going through a healing, then uh, it's a good thing to be able to let others know what we've done sure. so that if somebody else is dealing with the same kind of symptom, they can see, hey, somewhere in the world, there's someone who had that symptom and doesn't have it anymore. Sure. What did they do right? And if it sure. worked for them, it can work for me. If it's been done before, it can be done again, you know? Sure. That was certainly a... Uh, significant moments along my own journey and understanding and knowing the, 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 the possibility of creating a, a, a healing for, for myself and 
equating the reality of uh, perfect health in the brain and so on was seeing that there are other people who had a brain tumor and now no longer had one and and didn't have any sort of uh, chemotherapy, radiation or surgery to to affect that. When when you know that to be fact and you've spoken with these people and so on, it um, creates a a great deal of ease from which you can then uh, create that possibility for yourself as well. So I think the the role that anything can be healed, Martin's book, anything can be healed, and the role of uh, writers such as Bernie Siegel and so on, um, who, who really have uh, brought to attention the types of attitudes and behaviours and practices that people who heal generally hold and those who don't generally hold is, is really, really valuable. So the, the information certainly, uh, certainly is out there. Um, do you see, consider hope for more partnership, more, more, more coming together of, of the world that you occupy or, or live within, the, the, the world of healing and the world of mainstream healthcare. I mean, that one could see them as worlds apart. Do you, see, do you see integration happening? Do you see possibility? I do see integration happening. I, I do have uh, doctors and nurses coming into my classes, people who recognize that looking strictly in the universe of physical cause and effect doesn't give you all the answers and that the attitude of the individual, what's happening in their consciousness, is an important element in uh, the health of that individual. So there is exploration. And I would say, uh, with the popularization of uh, something like Reiki, uh, that has brought the concept of healing more and more to mainstream society. So they're more and more recognizing the truth of it and the fact that, at least for some people, it's having a positive effect on the health, no matter what explanation they give themselves uh, for that success. So I do see uh, a movement towards uh, more of an integration between, uh, let's say, classical medicine and uh, alternative ideas. Sure. I, I don't necessarily see what we're doing as alternative, by the way. I I prefer, in fact, to see it more as complementary. Sure. Uh, for people who have been written off and uh, for whom uh, medical science has, has given no hope, then it may be considered an alternative. But we're not telling people to not go to doctors. We're saying, sure. do whatever you need to do to return yourself to health and um, we don't give medical advice and we don't tell people not to take medicine. If they feel like taking medicine, they can do that and uh, work with what we have also to accelerate the process of healing. Sure. And certainly that's been my uh, emphasis is on, on utilizing whatever is available. And, and certainly neurosurgeons have played a, an important role in that. And MRI scanners are wonderful devices. and. Uh, an intelligent approach clearly is to is, is to, to, to include as many sources and, and approaches that are going to be valuable and, and, and not uh, not get involved in a this or that um, That's right. argument. With, with with healing itself, uh, you've been involved in this work for for 35 years, and that must have been an, an extraordinary journey itself to see the shifts in attitudes and, and, and also the shift in your own work. Uh, what 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 excites you? What seems um, on the horizon for, for, for your work with healing and how this might develop in the coming years and decades? Uh, well, I, I put together this system and uh, for me it was a model for understanding things, but um, 
and it seemed to develop a life of its own, and it continues to show me things. It continues to unfold layer after layer of understanding, and uh, and with um, experiences I have working with people, that 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 understanding continues to to grow. So I enjoy that. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a book uh, about the inner cause. Uh, the book that I wrote. Uh, called Anything Can Be Healed is, uh, among other things, pretty much a manual for healers. What does someone need to know who would like to function as a healer? Also in terms of understanding what's going on in the consciousness of the person needing to be healed, how to understand the symptoms. The book I'm writing now is more intended for the person who uh, is needing the healing, the person with the symptom, so a kind of um, a reference manual so that they can look up a particular symptom and see the way of being that we associate with that symptom very specifically, you know, and then see how that talks to them so that they can understand with the book uh, the conditions in their consciousness that created the symptom and therefore what needs to change in order for them to release the symptom. Um, what do I see moving forward that well, just uh, more and more people having access to this information and it becoming more and more uh, common as a way of thinking. Sure. May it be so. I mean, it seems that there is a growing understanding of the power of our minds, our consciousness in, in, in creating our experience and, and the reality that we actually uh, um, have coming up for ourselves more and more, and that's obviously applied in the work that... Mm -hmm. uh, that you do, and indeed I'm uh, involving myself in in my little personal project right now. Um, that's a, a lot of wonderful information to share, and I guess I really want to emphasize for anyone listening as well that there is a, a wealth of information on Martin's website, healer.ch, that's dub 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 healer.ch, where you can find uh, uh, testimonials, individuals who have created uh, healings, have experienced healings from all manner of conditions, including cancers, brain tumors, and uh, and, and so on. Really useful resource and um, something that uh, will uh, be um, uh, provide value for, for anyone looking to, to, to take that responsibility. And ultimately, this seems to be the key word for me. It's about taking responsibility. If you uh, want to uh, accept other people's definition of what you are experiencing with your illness, then uh, that, is, that is a valid choice, it's your choice. Equally, if you uh, wish to uh, take responsibility for your health as a consequence of your own life and your own choices, then uh, you open up a whole new uh, avenue, a whole new world of possibilities. And um, yeah, Martin is a, a very capable guide in this process, and I'm uh, grateful to him for the work he's, he's doing and, and for speaking to us today as well. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Martin.